Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., how you doing? You want to you wanna do, like, you know, 80% or 85% of a really great podcast and have, like, the last 15% just be terrible? <laughs> no, uh, but I am going to have to work through this podcast given that I have like a really stuffy nose and kind of have a cold coming on just in time uh, for the home openers this weekend. So that's all really great from my perspective, but I, I think I'm going to be able to push through it and this can be a hundred percent great podcast. Uh, oh. Even if the content might be not super positive. Right. I was, I was, I was going to say that and I was just going to point that out and be like, I prefer to manage expectations. Like my projection for this that's podcast true. is like, a, <laughs> I don't know, like a C plus B minus. Um, it's not going to be like terrible. It's not going to be the worst podcast you've, you've ever listened to, but you know, I mean, manage your expectations here and, and I think you'll come away, uh, happier about the whole thing. Um, okay. So yes, are, are things going other than, than, than your sickness or things going, going well this week? Um, I, I mean, it's exciting <laughs> that we're finally going I, home. I think your, um, your, um, is like, you could just stop. <laughs> are things going well this week? Um, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Well, yeah, no, I mean, obviously, uh, the game, which we will get into, um, over the weekend, uh, was kind of hard to watch <sighs> the last 10 minutes uh, as we'll get into, uh, but at least both teams, Timbers and Thorns are going to be home this weekend. And so that's pretty exciting. I haven't seen soccer at Providence park in quite some time. Uh, so I am excited to get back out there and you get a double dose this weekend so like yes. probably by sunday evening you'll be like what was i thinking why did i say that <laughs> too much um and if you go to the the t2 game you can get get like three games in in the course of, of four days which would be uh, really exciting that is wednesday it's going to be up, up at merlot field they're sort of splitting their schedule this year if you i think we may have talked about that on a previous episode but between providence park and merlot and they're going to be starting off uh at merlot field in their home opener um, but yeah, let's go ahead and talk about the, that adventure of, of a game in Orlando. This is one of those games where like, as you're watching it, and I'm sure as like, we're like writing about it and talking about it and all of that stuff, you just like, you're like, I would give anything to be a neutral with this game. Because if, if I was a neutral just watching this game, it would be like Newman-like laughter, right? You, you, would, you would just be busting up laughing. It, it, it would be just incredibly entertaining and, and like so juicy and and it would be great as somebody who is who you know i mean covers the team that is on the losing side of this game less good uh predictions i mean it gives you stuff to write about but it also gives you uh, a healthy healthy dose of saltiness uh from all sides uh our predictions uh i you know i think we pretty well got it you nailed one piece of it uh, you called a 2-2 draw, with, but with a Diego Valeri goal and assist. Tip of the cap to you. Uh, he did have the penalty kick goal. He did assist uh, the, 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 the Bill Tuiloma goal. I know how to talk. Uh, I called a 3-3 draw, so again, I was expecting some, some craziness. I was a you know, better Dyron Espria header, maybe, even away from, from being right on that. Uh, I did, however, call a Fernando Adi brace. Um, I meant in a Fernando Adi brace of minutes that he was going to play two minutes. I was still wrong. <laughs> so he played zero minutes. Uh, and, and that is, uh, I think something that's going to become a talking point to be sure if he doesn't get, uh, get, get back on the field this week. 
Uh, nonetheless, Jamie, I'm going to go ahead and give the points uh, for you. The 2-2 draw, I think that in and of itself uh, is worth a few points because you were pretty close. Uh, but the Valeri goal and assist, that's a pretty high degree of difficulty side bet, uh, especially considering he did not have a goal uh, yet on the season. That's a lie. He had a goal in the previous week. Goal. Just kidding. Not an assist yet. Like I said, C plus B minus. That's the expectation here, folks. <laughs> but nonetheless, he did not have an assist yet. You're correct. So he got his first assist. He got his second goal of the season. I'm going to go ahead for the whole kit and caboodle and give you 23.57613 points for the effort. Is that fair? Sure. Yeah. Depends what you're getting. Okay. Uh, <laughs> for the 3-3 three, three draw, I obviously got the result wrong, but uh, yeah, I mean, both close on the score and certainly the, the sort of chaotic, wild feeling of the game. Uh, for that, I'm going to go ahead uh, and give myself 4.962 points. Uh, zero, of course, for the Audi brace of minutes uh, because he he did not even have two minutes. Uh, go ahead. Is, 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 do you want to criticize my my provision of four points for that, or is that about fair given where you were uh, with with the total score? Oh, I'll I'll take it. Uh, yeah, I do think the Delary goal and assist is pretty high difficulty. Yeah, but you got a good chunk of points for that. I'll take it. You got a okay, good chunk. I'll take it. Um, okay, so I you know I I let's take this from the emotional perspective first. The Timbers, if you've been under a rock for a few days, the Timbers were, were dominant through the first 80 minutes of the game, eh, 75 minutes of the game, uh, l- l- let's say just for fairness, were dominant through the first 75 minutes of the game. Uh, they built themselves a 2-0 lead. Uh, Seba Blanco hit the underside of the crossbar one time. Diego Valeri hit the post another time, both of which very easily and were very close to being goals. So it was a 2-0 lead that the Timbers were even a little bit maybe unlucky not to have a 3 or a 4-0 lead uh, at that point in the game. But nonetheless, that's just sort of how comprehensive the Timbers' performance was to that point. They were the, they were the better team on the field, and it wasn't terribly close. And then the Timbers <laughs> shipped three goals, the first of which was by way of a corner kick. Just a, a, a minute after that, uh, Baldomero Toledo, the referee, gave a penalty kick. Uh, to Orlando City. We're going to talk more about that later. Uh, they, they they buried that uh, to bring it to 2-2. And then a few minutes later, uh, Dom Dwyer, who had been basically a non-factor in the game uh, in, until these last 10 minutes or so, uh, not even basically a non-factor. He just was a non-factor. There, you don't even need to qualify that. Uh, got the third for Orlando to s- somehow come away from that game with three points. Thinking back, let's do a little soccer history made in Portland. Thinking back, uh, in, in over the course of the last few years, where do you think this result ranks on the scale of disappointment? Oh man, um, it's pretty high. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think there's some games that you could go back to in um, Portland Timbers history and say it was more disappointing, not because they blew it necessarily, but but because I mean, Cal FC. Uh, yeah, Cal the the, the the season closer in 2016 yeah. at Vancouver. I mean, you know, by the stakes of those games and the sort of otherwise embarrassment factor <laughs> with respect to Cal FC, yeah. certainly worse. I'd agree with that. Go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think there's been some that have been worse. I can't remember uh, in covering the team, Timbers, and correct me if I'm wrong, a game that they blew um, quite – quite like this, uh, where they conceded three goals in such a short period of time. I, I've seen them blow games late, but but I really remember that being one, maybe two goals. Um, I, I really can't think back to a situation where, where they held a two-goal lead this late and somehow managed to walk away with zero points. No, I, I don't think that's happened. For me, though, and I think you were probably 
uh, sort of suggesting this in your answer. The 4-4 draw, I think in 2014, I, I looked this up and now I've forgotten which year it was, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was 2014 against Seattle where the Timbers were up 4-2 late in the game in the 80 somethingth minute uh, as well and and ended up shipping two goals i think both to clint dempsey if i remember right one of which yeah. was a penalty kick uh the fact that it was you know sort of at providence park against seattle they looked like they were cruising uh it looked like the sounders were falling apart uh and then the timbers just oh my goodness uh that was the one that sort of came to mind for me but again as you pointed out that's one where they only let the team come back and draw from two goals down. Uh, this is one where they somehow managed to, to come away with nothing. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think if, you, if you're talking about blown results like that, uh, the Timbers have certainly blown their fair share uh, of results late in games recently. Uh, but I, you know, I'm not sure I can think of one that is, the, that is you know, significantly over and beyond uh, this one. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I, I can't. If you're talking about simply blowing results, not just the embarrassment factor or these other factors. Um, but yeah, it, I cannot think of a game where they blew a result quite like this before. Yikes. So let's go ahead and, and sort of get then to the, the, the Timbers-based sort of merits of, of what's going on here. Uh, and that is their late game approach. Look, we've now, we now have two weeks in a row in which the Timbers have conceded a goal in, in the last 10 minutes of the game. Uh, and or in this case, multiple goals in the last 10 minutes of the game in order to drop the result uh, against the Chicago Fire. Not only did the, did the Timbers lose it uh, by way of a relatively late goal from uh, the Fire or, or lose the, 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 the result and get only a draw by way of a late goal from the Fire, but they actually coughed up another lead earlier in the second half. They, they opened the 1-0 lead going into halftime, coughed that up, got the lead back, coughed it up again in the late going. Against Orlando... As we know, what do you think is going on with the with the Timbers late game approach? Is there a fundamental problem with the way the Timbers are going about games and finishing them off that's keeping them from getting these results? Yeah, I, I think there's two parts to this. I, I think obviously one of them is focus. Diego Valeri brought that up. He did the, he feels like the team um, when he spoke this week maybe needs to be a little bit more focused for the full ninety minutes. They they can't just assume that they have a result uh, when when it's late in the game. They have to really keep that right mentality through the entirety of the game. At the same time, I think there's a, a much more tactical element to this. I, I think we saw in both these games, especially in this Orlando game, the Timbers just drop, uh, a, kind of drop back, uh, kind of de decide that they were willing to get uh, absorb pressure from Orlando um, rather than try to stay, try to ride the game out by staying on the front foot, uh, maintaining possession. Uh, they just went with a much more defensive-minded approach late in the game. And I think what that did was allow Orlando to start pressuring them, start getting opportunities, start getting in good positions um, when they could have tried to ride out the game uh, by staying a little bit more on the attack and staying a little bit more on the front foot and, and not sort of changing the approach that had worked for them uh, for the first 75 minutes or so of the game. I agree with that second point entirely. I don't disagree with the first point either. Uh, but But I think that second point really gets to sort of the core of the matter. And that is the, the, just that, hey, look, I mean, the Timbers are not doing a good enough job of continuing to do the things that they've done to get them into these advantageous spots, right? And look, against both the Fire and Orlando, the Timbers were largely 
not only sort of attacking on the front foot or playing on the front foot, they were defending on the front foot. They weren't just turning Orlando over in the box. They did do a, a decent chunk of, of box defending, especially late in the first half. Uh, Orlando had, a, had a, a, a sort of spell of extended pressure. But when the Timbers were really effective, they were just making a, a mess out of the Orlando midfield. This is the same thing we saw in Chicago the week before, where they were making a mess of the fire midfield. And, and as a result, they really st- were, were dominating the game. This is a big deal. I mean, this is important stuff when, when, when you're doing something to, to sort of get ahead and to get the lead to be able to keep doing those things in order to salt off the game. I mean, we talk all the time about game states and we talk all the time about the natural flow of games and how things are going to go uh, when you get you know down to those last 10 or 15 minutes, a 10 or 15 minutes in which the Timbers have struggled mightily over the course of the last couple of years. And it is almost a couple of years now since the Timbers have, have sort of seized a result in the last uh, 15 minutes of a game, whereas they've now con- they've given up something like 12 or 13 results uh, in, in that period of time. But when you talk about managing these game states, every team is going to do it a little bit differently, right? I mean, there are going to be some teams that are going to be very, very good at defending deep late in games. I mean, you, you're talking about your Colorado Rapids. They want to get that block as low as they can get it, and they just want to make you try to lump crosses in, into a tall central defense, right? You, you see other teams that, that, you know, if a team is a little bit more of a pressing team, you look at a New York Red Bulls, they want to, in spite of the game state, in spite of other teams pushing numbers forward, they want to continue pressing. They want to continue being disruptive. If you have a team that's possession-based and that likes to control games with the ball, they want to continue doing that even when the game state sort of goes to a point where you're going to be expecting the other side to be pushing numbers. But the Timbers haven't been doing a good job. They've been sort of surrendering to the game state, if you will, in saying, hey, look, we have the lead. It's getting late in the game. We're just going to let the other team come and push their numbers forward. We're going to, we're going to drop into a shell, which is not their strength, and, and see if we can defend the lead uh, by, by trying uh, to be difficult to break down. In the last two weeks, it hasn't worked. In fact, it's failed pretty spectacularly, and I agree with you. It's something where the Timbers have to figure out another way in order to manage these game states, because if they don't, yikes. I mean, there's no reason to think there aren't going to be more of these going forward. A question from Joe. Please discuss Gio's third substitute. Down a goal with five plus, plus minutes remaining. Gio brought on uh, Marco Farfan in favor of Alvis Powell, who picked up a little bit of a knock. We'll talk about that in a moment. Should Gio have brought on some somebody like Adi in that moment? Jamie Goldberg, what do you think? Um, I, I don't know if he should have brought on Adi in that moment. I, I think that he didn't want to necessarily take a defender out of the game. At a point when the Timbers still did need to focus on the defensive side and were obviously absorbing a lot of pressure from Orlando at that point, I, I was surprised to see that he didn't bring in Audi when, when he subbed off Armentero. So I asked Gio about that this week, and he said that he thought Espria's speed and ability to get behind defenders was going to be something that was going to be more beneficial uh, for the Timbers. But I, I, I felt that Audi coming in with his holdup play uh, would have been the more appropriate sub for Armenteros in that moment as the player who has played as a lone number nine uh, more often for the Timbers. Uh, but with Pal and Farfan, I I felt like, yeah, you, you don't necessarily want to take a defender off completely um, when Orlando is pressuring as much as they were. Um, but I, I, I did have questions about some of the earlier subs. Yeah, definitely. And so let's go ahead and sort of wrap those into Joe's question. Uh, you know, he, he brought on Lawrence Olin in favor of Christian Paredes uh, shortly after the hour. 
and and then as, and then and then uh, as you noted, Dirona Spria in favor of Samuel Armenteros shortly thereafter. After that, uh, I mean, for me, Olam for Paredes was the one that that really ended up hurting. And mm-hmm. you know, I didn't think Olam was individually great, but I also didn't think Olam was individually terrible. But just look at the difference in, in, in the kind of player you're going to get. Even when playing as a six, Diego Chara is going to be a guy that not only is, is going to protect the back line, but is also going to be able to play the ball a bit. Is also going to going to get forward a little bit and, and is going and is not only get forward in, in possession, but also get into the midfield in defense. Lawrence Olam is a guy that's going to sit in front of the back line, right? And, and so just by making that shift, by, by bringing out Paredes, inserting Olam, shifting Chara from the six to the eight, you're putting yourself in a much more defensive posture or, or at least a much more sort of conservatively defensive posture, because I, I think the, the Timbers defense was better, frankly, with Paredes on the field uh, than, than it was with Olm. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily a more defensive posture uh, with Olm uh, on the field, but it's certainly a more conservative defensive posture with him there. Uh, and, and that I thought was, was sort of the thing that started and it didn't happen immediately. The Timbers were okay for 10 minutes or so, uh, after Olin came on. But as the, as the Timbers started absorbing more and more pressure, you could see that they were just missing that element, both of disruption and of the ability to connect passes in midfield that had been so, so successful earlier in the game. So I don't get that. I agree entirely with Joe here. I, you know, I mean, it happened really shortly after that third goal, so it's conceivable that it just hadn't sort of like popped up in anybody's head to say, hey, Farfan isn't the right switch at this point. But look, I mean, 88th minute uh, when, when when Marco came on, nothing against Marco. It's not like anything was his fault. Uh, the Timbers are now down a goal. They have nothing to lose, quite literally nothing to lose. Uh, and, and you would think that they would be bringing on their DP striker, uh, to see if they can get a, a goal to try to salvage something from this game. So I I think he got the substitutions all wrong. I was a little bit surprised to hear him in his uh, in his press conference this week sort of say he still likes the substitutions or or doesn't regret them. Um, I I guess I I think they're at least very arguable, uh, and I was surprised not to see see that recognition. Is that anything to be concerned about? The that you know there seems to be a little bit of I don't want to say, well, well, I don't even know how to characterize it, but a, a lack of sort of criticism, you know, after the fact criticism of himself uh, in, in that regard. I think that's a diplomatic way to put it. Maybe. Uh, I think I think it's hard to tell what Gio's thinking behind the scenes and what he's saying to the media. As we've been talked about, he hasn't been very specific uh, in, in a lot of his answers with the media. He's been pretty vague, hasn't, hasn't said it all that much. And so I don't know what he's thinking behind the scenes in terms of these substitutions, whether there might be um, some more thought process of that, that he doesn't necessarily want to other teams, I guess, to maybe pick up where he might be coming from now moving forward. So uh, I don't know, maybe I, I definitely agreed with you that the substitutions were questionable, definitely could be argued. And given the outcome of the game, you, you can definitely look back at that. So it was a bit of a surprise to not hear him, uh, say more uh, about that, but I- I'm just not sure how much it is um, what he was wanting to say to the media or maybe elements that we don't quite understand uh, how he is viewing that game. We'll have to see going forward um, how his substitutions play and what kind of 
what kind of strategy he's using in late games, whether we're seeing a change um, after these last two losses or, or whether we're seeing the Timbers do the same thing. And I think at that point, we, we'll know a little bit more. And I think it's fair to point out that, yeah, at least from my perspective, we're now five games into the season. I'm not sure I can remember thinking at any point in any performance, man, this substitute is really making a difference. <laughs> this substitute, the, this sub has made, has made the Timbers better. Um, so I, I, and I think you, you can make arguments, uh, that there have been some moves that haven't made sense and, and, and that haven't done the job for the Timbers. Certainly, uh, this last week is sort of the most obvious of those. So I think, I think it's a fair point of criticism. Uh, I, I don't think it, it was significantly troubling to me to hear that, but I, I, you know, I would like to hear a little bit more. It would be reassuring personally to me. I'll put it that way. If I heard a little bit more self-reflection, uh, in that respect, because I think that is something that you can make a good argument is not going right for the Timbers right now. And look, you can even make a, a good argument that that's been uh, a, a, you know, part of losing five points just in the last two weeks late in games. Valdemiro Toledo. Boy, he had a trip through this game, didn't he? Uh, for me, I'll, I'll sort of lay out the way I think about this to start. And Jamie, feel free to, if you think any of this sort of premise is unfair, by all means, Say I'm stupid. Um, but I, I think for me, this, this started pretty early in the game when Toledo got into uh, a conflict with, with Sebastian Blanco that frankly, to me, looks like he was mostly Blanco being kind of a jerk, <laughs> kind of an idiot. Uh, and, and, you know, not uh, not being willing to observe where Toledo was was setting the 10 yard line on an early corner kick. Uh, Blanco decided to make it an issue of it and got a yellow card that I don't feel bad <laughs> for him at all in receiving. Uh, but Toledo clearly was not pleased with that interaction. Uh, and, and just a few minutes later, uh, he, after Sebastian Blanco was, was tripped up in the box uh, by El Munir, uh, uh, Toledo went ahead uh, and, and gave Blanco a dive card. That, was ultimately overturned by VAR and the Timbers were in fact awarded a penalty uh, and, 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 and the Valeri converted it and the game went on from there. It would have been a sending off for Blanco. It was not because the penalty was, it w- was correctly awarded after VAR. But then we get to the point late in the game when he gives Orlando city a penalty for. I, uh, okay, I'm just going to say it. He gives Orlando City a penalty because Dom Dwyer ran into Alvis Powell and fell down. I, I, I think that's a pretty neutral, factual statement of what happened. Um, what what in the world? Is, is it fair to draw a connection between the two instances? Is, it, is that in saying that, that Toledo had it out for the Timbers? Is that in saying that Toledo didn't do a good job of uh, of sort of controlling his emotions at emotional parts of the game? Uh, how do you, I mean, why, how do you explain, uh, the, the, the two pretty massive gaffes, one of which was fixed, the other was not, uh, that Toledo made on the day. I mean, I don't know what role his emotions played into them. I think on the first one that that's an easy conclusion to draw, given that he had just given Blanco, uh, that yellow card and they had a little bit of an argument over that corner kick. You can see how he might've still let been thinking about that and got, let the emotions get the best of him in that moment. Like you said, that ultimately got overturned. I, I kind of doubt that that was still on his mind or, or maybe an emotional sense against the Timbers was still on his mind later in the game when he called that 
penalty on Alvis Powell. Uh, I just think that was a terrible call uh, that no ref should be making at this level. I, I'm not sure if he was obstructed by the purple smoke um, or, or something. There was a considerable amount of that on the field. Uh, but there's really no excuse for, for that call. There's no excuse that there was no VAR intervention given uh, how now that we've seen it and maybe VAR didn't have that angle at that moment, um, multiple angles on that and seeing how clear and obvious it was that Dom Dwyer ran into Elvis Powell and fell over. Uh, there was no penalty there whatsoever. And while I think we've said it, well, the Timbers, there's plenty of reasons that the Timbers uh, need to take responsibility for this. This is on them. This isn't on the referee. That was a game-changing call. And we don't know what would have happened had he had not made them. So, so I'm going to quibble to... with that just a little bit. I, I think the Timbers bear a lot of culpability. I think it is also on the referee. I mean, that is a huge call. It's a huge call in that moment of the game. I mean, uh, it, it's easy to sort of see how it could have played out where at 2-1, that corner kick goal could have been just sort of a like, okay, it's a set piece that happens kind of thing. And the Timbers go on and, and, and you know, don't look great, but, but, but see out the result. That to me, like, sent the game from being, okay, now this is a thing into just like, okay, meltdown mode kind of business. Yeah. So I think it's a massive call. Go ahead. Well, yeah, yeah. I guess what I meant was just I, I don't want to take away the responsibility from the Timbers because they do bear an important, important amount of this responsibility. And there are obviously factors that led to them giving up three goals in 10 minutes outside of the referee. Um, but yes, I, this call was a game changing call. Um, and we don't know what would have happened had, had uh, he not <laughs> made it. And uh, VAR was not used uh, to correct it um, in this case. If VAR hadn't been used in the earlier in the game, it would have been a completely different game as well. Oh my goodness! Can you um, imagine if that had happened last year at this yeah, time, where exactly. Blanco gets sent off for a dive on what was in fact an obvious foul, uh, and as a result, instead of having a penalty and an opportunity to go up one zero and be eleven v eleven, the Timbers were down ten v eleven. Yeah, which would have happened <laughs> last year at this time, which, which is. Uh, completely ridiculous for for a league that's supposed to be at the, the level that MLS is to have referees making those kinds of blown calls. And, and I like that VAR uh, has come in and fixed that to some degree. And I think we'll talk more about this throughout the podcast. But it clearly hasn't completely uh, fixed the problems. And it kind of masks to some degree the, that a lot of these referees are still getting more calls wrong than they should. Um, and this was just a really, really bad performance, um, from Toledo and, and yeah, he, he deserves some of the responsibility for costing the Timbers the result. You know, I do, I think there has to be an, an, an emotional component to that late penalty given because it, oftentimes when referees get calls wrong, like you can see why the you can see basically what tricked the referee, right? You can see that the, there was some aspect of the play that made it look like there was a foul there, and and we've now seen sort of the the most egregiously obvious angle. But even from the angles that were available at the, the and that we saw at the time of uh, 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 of the game, it was pretty clear what happened. It was pretty clear that Powell didn't do anything that would even be re- remotely considered a foul. Uh, and and something that would be uh, that the, that would be given as, as a penalty. So, I, I mean, I I'm at a loss, frankly, to to sort of explain it from the 
from other than saying, and, and this is sort of the what I think is most likely, that Toledo sort of got wrapped up in the moment. That was that was the first time the stadium had really been alive uh, since the first half, since the beginning of the game. Uh, it, it was it was the first time. It was just after that first goal, and, and so the crowd was into it. Certainly, Orlando City had really pinned their ears back and and, and was trying to come at the Timbers. Uh, and I think Toledo got wrapped up in the moment. I'm, you know, I, I, I am. I find it hard to believe that the purple smoke could make a difference because, frankly, I mean, if anything, you would think that would that would make a referee not blow a whistle, right? Because referees are generally only going to give penalties and only going to blow that whistle if they feel for darn sure uh, that they that they're getting it right that that there's really a penalty there. And if the smoke is in the way and he he can't really tell, I would think that that if a, if you have a referee that's sort of of even mind, that that would make him swallow his whistle more than it would make him uh, apply it poorly. You know, use it in, in a in a situation which wasn't warranted. So. Yeah, I mean, I I think it it is a you know it, it's those were two of the worst calls I think I've seen in a long time. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Even the Blanco one, uh, I definitely think you can tie to sort of the 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 emotion of, of that conflict with him. Um, but it didn't look like a dive in live action. It didn't look like a dive on replay. It never looked like a dive. It always looked like Elmanier came through him pretty good <laughs> and definitely fouled him in the box. Uh, and so that that was I was shocked to see him pull out the dive card. Um, and I was even more shocked, uh, to see him give the penalty, uh, to, to Orlando city, both of them, just horrible calls. I mean, those, each of them would be, you know, the kind of thing that you would think back on and be like, man, that's, that's one of the worst calls I've seen this year at the end of the season. Uh, and the Timbers happened to have two of them in the same game. One of which was thankfully fixed. The other one was, was very, very unfortunately not. And that's where Jeremy's question comes in. Straightforward question, but, uh, but I think uh, the answer is complex. And Jeremy's question is this. Is VAR working? Jamie? It's helping overall, I, I think, is the answer. I think you look, as we just talked about, you look at that uh, call on Sebastian Blanco early in the game. Without VAR, the Timbers would be down a man probably really frustrated at at that point. I'm sure they'd be pretty emotional after that, uh, feeling that that call was absolutely shouldn't have gone the way it did. They'd be down a man, wouldn't have had the penalty and and probably would have lost that game uh, way sooner than they did. It it would have been a completely different uh, outcome. And after the game, I mean, everyone would have to look back and point to that play, that game changing call that was absolutely incorrect. And so VAR fixed that VAR, put even the playing field like it, it should have been. Uh, they put Blanco back on the field. They gave the Timbers the penalty that they deserved, and they let that game play on as it should have been and not let uh, Toledo decide that game uh, in that moment. Um, at the same time, I, I don't know how they don't review uh, the the penalty late in the game on Al- uh, that Dom Dwyer earned by running into Alvis Powell. I, I don't know how it's not reviewed. It, it's a clear and obvious error uh, from the angle that they showed on ESPN. It looked pretty close to that uh, from the other angles we saw uh, immediately after the play. And we don't know exactly what went on. We don't know what Toledo was hearing in his ear, uh, what he was told from, from the VAR, but, and that's information that won't be made public, but that is absolutely a call that should have been looked at. And that is a sign that VAR didn't work in that moment. Uh, so yeah, it's helping. Um <laughs> 
helping uh, fix some problems that the referees are having, uh, but it's it's not clearly working in every instant when it needs to. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say it's certainly helping in, in, in situations. And I think it's probably, you know, if I were to grade it out, it, it has been a net positive. I, I want to raise one additional point in addition to what you said, even though I, I, I largely agree. And that's that we've seen this year a lot of these, these reviews start to take a lot longer. And that is troubling to me. I mean, we have, we've seen reviews take see, lead to stoppages in play that have been multiple, multiple minutes five, six, even seven minute stoppages in play because play, you know, whatever incident happens, play stops. Maybe there's an injury on the field. Uh, something's going on. The The initial review is taking place. It takes an extended period of time. Finally, the, the, the call is given down to the center referee. And there have been multiple instances in which this has taken longer this year than last year. And I'm concerned about that backsliding. This was not an issue for Toledo, by the way. Uh, in, in that first call, he did fix it relatively quickly, perhaps because the evidence was so impossibly overwhelming <laughs> that you couldn't possibly look at more than one uh, replay and, and, and not see that, that he got it so terribly wrong. But you, you have these that, that are, the, and sort of the average time certainly seems to be going up uh, not insignificantly early in the season. And, and that concerns me as well. So as far working, I, I think it's probably been, a, you know, a, a more of a success than a failure, but I definitely do think that there are potential issues here. And look, we, we've also seen it not work in, in numerous instances. In, in fact, heck, we've had multiple VAR-issued red cards, red cards issued only after video review that have then gone on to be rescinded by the independent panel afterward because it was a bad call. So I, there are certainly sort of issues on the merits with VAR. There are issues in the substance with VAR. So even if I think it's been a net positive, and, and maybe even more successful than I thought it was going to be, there are still significant issues that, that need to be worked out and that need to be improved, and I'm not super confident that they are. Okay, uh, let's get back to the that, that second penalty that was given for Orlando late in the game. As we noted, Dom Dwyer drew it by running into Alvis Powell and falling down. Do you think after reviewing the play that it's one that should result in Dwyer being suspended for embellishment? Yes, I, I think it should uh, result in that. Um, I'm not sure if it will, but that was off. That was absolutely embellishment and it changed the game. Um, and I, I think it deserves a suspension. So, you know, here's my... Yeah, uh, I, I also first of all, yes, I, I agree. I also think that it, that it is a, uh, a worthy of a suspension. Generally, uh, a, if a player has sort of an obvious instance of embellishment, and that instance of embellishment leads to a, a game changing call like a penalty kick, uh, or a significant call like a penalty kick or a red card, then it is uh, something that the disciplinary can come back and issue a suspension for. Uh, and look, I mean, in the, in this instance, I've seen the argument made that hey, it's not really embellishment because. There was contact. He did bump into Powell, and, and the argument being that the that contact led to him falling down. But that didn't happen. I mean, I mean we, we know pretty clearly that, that it wasn't the contact that made Dwyer fall down. I, I mean, heck, the blow was delivered to Powell. If, if anybody was, was going to fall down as a result of it, you would think it would be Alvis Powell. And, and, and Powell was, I think, marginally knocked off balance. Uh, by 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 the contact, it clearly wasn't enough to make 
any sort of reasonable uh, individual, reasonable player fall down, especially somebody like Dom Dwyer, who has a pretty low uh, center of gravity, who is able uh, to, to, to stay on the feet when he stay on his feet when he wants to. But yeah, I, so you know, I, I think it's clear embellishment. And even if he did slip or something like that, he as he's going to ground, he's waving his arms around like it's a foul. All of those things to me speak very clearly to the fact that it was an intentional attempt. Uh, to to deceive the referee into getting a penalty. I mean, to to one extent, you've got to say congratulations, Dom Dwyer. You 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 successfully uh, you you successfully you know conned the referee into that penalty. Uh, but that's exactly what that rule's there for to issue suspensions in those kinds of circumstances. So there you go, uh, Jamie. One additional point that I think is probably only worth a quick second, uh, and that is Dirona Spria. We found out during the, the broadcast, uh, I can't remember if it was Adrian Heath or, 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 excuse me, Adrian Healy, not Adrian Heath. That's the coach of the team that's playing here next week, uh, this upcoming weekend. We heard, I can't remember if it was Adrian or, or Taylor uh, Twelman the, the, that said this, but nonetheless, it was disclosed during the, the broadcast on ESPN that Dyrone Espria had been fined during the week for some sort of thing. It sounds like this isn't a big deal, but you you have a little bit more information on it after talking to Gio this week. What do we know about this, and is this something that that is a problem going forward? Yeah, I I think from the Spria uh, incident or, or whatever occurred, um, Savarese didn't exactly say what happened. Um, I, I think he said within the entire discussion, rules need to be followed, something like that. I I'm not sure exactly what he meant, um, but. Espria obviously came back into the team. That's a point that um, Gio made uh, over the weekend. He came off the bench. He played. Uh, so whatever happened midweek um, that led to some sort of indis- that some sort of indiscretion or uh, team rule or something that occurred with Espria, it seems like uh, they were able to move past that and whatever whatever fine happened. Um, and is over with, and he was back in the team. So it, it doesn't seem like something that's going to be extended out longer uh, than what it, whatever it happened last week. It sounds to me like this is decidedly in the not a big deal uh, category. So there we go. Yeah. Um, let's get then to the injury. I'm calling it the injury, et cetera, report this week, uh, starting off with the on the et cetera side of things, and that is Liam Ridgewell. Yeah, uh, Gio confirmed that Liam was, in fact, injured with a calf injury last week, uh, and that's why he didn't travel to Orlando. Um, but interestingly, he said uh, Liam was back in full training on Tuesday. Um, he did not say whether or not he will be part of the team for uh, the home opener this weekend. Uh, so Liam's healthy again, uh, was apparently going to travel to Orlando had he been healthy. But now his status for Minnesota, it sounds like it's still up in the air. So, I mean, the the, the way I was thinking about this, and we both got sort of the same message about, about Ridgewell, is that the, the, the message was he is back in the team generally, but he's just hurt this week going into Orlando. Now it sounds like the message is he's back healthy again, but we don't yet know if he's back in the team. Is that a fair characterization of of, of where we are and where sort of the ambiguity lies? Yeah, that's what it seems like. I mean, Gio did go out of his way to say that Liam is back competing and has the right mentality and things like that. Uh, So whatever that means, I I don't know if he's trying to make the point that Liam is now just in a situation where he has to compete for his spot. Um, But if that is the point he's making, then that's 
it's not something he's getting across in a good way. I, given that Liam was the captain of this team, given um, who he is on this team, I, I think if he is fully back in the group, um, there needs to be more of a clear uh, explanation from the team that says, yes, he he's back. And, and if he's not in the 18, it's, it's because Tuiloma is doing really well or something. It, it's no longer any sort of behind the scenes issues. And, and that hasn't been made clear. Do you think we're at a point that, the that you know i mean this these ambiguities and the and these contradictions and these communications are getting unfair to liam ridgewell i mean it, it, it's strange a little bit to talk about uh the guy who you know i mean was jogging out uh plays in in new york turning into the victim here but it, do you think we're now at a point where just the the the, the continuance of, of of the cloud hanging over this and 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 the timbers intentionally or unintentionally kind of feeding that cloud is now unfair to ridgewell Look, if, if there's stuff behind the scenes that, that's going on, I can understand the team not necessarily wanting to air everything to the media and in that way trying to be fair to Ridgewell that things are between him and, and the coach. Um, if it was more than just the New York jogging back, we obviously don't know and we could be adding on more to this just because we don't know and it's hard to tell uh, when he's been out for two weeks and then supposedly back in and then maybe out again and we, we are just don't know at this point. I, I think if he's fully back with the team at this point and 100% is available to compete for a spot and any sort of issues that were there are gone. Uh, I think it is a bit unfair to him that they haven't been clear on that because it does kind of leave this sort of cloud over him. And if we're not at that point anymore, I think that's something they need to make clear to them. That's exactly how I, how I think of it too, where it, you know, if this is the point where he's now back in consideration, at least, uh, for spots in the lineup, uh, and, 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 and to sort of like, and to sort of win his spot based purely on the merits of his play rather than any matters of discipline, they're being manifestly unfair, uh, to him at this point, because frankly, I assume there are still matters of discipline going on because of, I think that's the inference, the, that, that this kind of ambiguity and these contradictions give rise to, it would be, as you said, really easy for them to, to clarify that, for them just to say, no, there is no more discipline issue with Ridgewell. It is it is purely about now, I mean, who's in the pecking order where in, in the depth chart, but they haven't said that. And so I assume there is still some matter of discipline going on. Uh, and and I I don't know, I you know, I, I know that's not what the, the, the inference of the Timbers would like me to draw, but I don't know what other one to draw. So, there we have it. Uh, I don't think this one takes a lot of inferences, though. Alvis Powell, what do we know about him? He came off late uh, against Orlando. What, what about his status in the upcoming week? Yeah, Gio said he, he was back in training, and Gio said he's fine. Um, it, it was just some sort of knock he took in the game, but it doesn't sound like a lingering one. What is lingering, however, is my inability to turn on my microphone. Um, <laughs> the hot take segment to be named later. Uh, I'm going to start off, and I'm going to start off here with sort of a short one, but nonetheless one that I think is interesting. Clint Dempsey today, it, it was announced the disciplinary committee suspended him an additional game for the the uh, the, the shot to where the sun don't shine on Ja'Cory Hayes in a game that was literally this week that will have been three weeks ago. This is a... a, a very, very delayed announcement from the disciplinary committee that was not clearly explained. There, there was actually some conflicting information given to Jeffrey Carlisle over the course of the day about maybe it was because there was an appeal. No, maybe it's because people were thinking about appealing, but they didn't. But nonetheless, it hasn't been satisfactorily explained why it took two and a half weeks to get this announcement out. Uh, and, and it is 
you know, in, in sort of the first instance, kind of an interesting, uh, interesting suspension. We talked about it, I think, at the time and said that, hey, look, you know, I mean, my perspective on it was, hey, look, although Dempsey is not a sympathetic character in this regard and has a history of exactly this. It was interesting that they used VAR in order to, to issue this red card in light of the fact that the video evidence as to what happened was not at all clear. You can certainly draw the inference based on uh, on his history that the that that he intended to to hit Jacory Hayes uh, to hit Hayes uh, you know below the belt, but but the video evidence of, of it just plain and simple from from the VAR perspective was not clear uh, on that issue. So I guess I I'm I'm torn because because uh, on one hand I think the actual sort of tactile evidence the 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 objective evidence that that this happened is pre and and that he intended for this to happen that it was very genuine violent conduct was flimsy there is the additional sort of subjective uh evidence based on his, his history and so i i think there's room to debate whether he should be suspended for an additional game just on the merits but then two and a half weeks are you kidding me? I mean, the, the, I, I guess it's kind of apropos of nothing because the, the Sounders had a bye week and then he was obviously suspended purely on, on, on the basis of the red card last week. But yeah, this is not a good look for the disciplinary committee to be, to be sort of dawdling, uh, even if it was sort of caught up in, in, in what was clearly a far, 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 far too long sort of procedural process of, of working out these appeal issues. Do you think that's a fair criticism? Yeah, I agree. I, I was surprised to see that come down. I for for both reasons that you mentioned, because I did not think it was clear from the video evidence, and therefore I thought it was surprising to see them hand down an extra game suspension um, based on not necessarily knowing for sure based on that video and making some inferences uh, about the player's past conduct. And at the same time, for it to come down this late, I, I don't know at what point the Sounders were informed. Maybe they made the decision to release this publicly later than they made the decision, uh, which I can see that, though I, I don't see why that would be a smart decision either. Um, but yeah, it, it should not take this long uh, to make a disciplinary committee decision. And that's something that should have been solved way earlier. All right, Jamie Goldberg, your turn for the hot take segment to be named later. Bring it on. Well, I'm going to go back uh, to uh, Baldemir Toledo and refereeing because um, we just can't talk enough about that. No, um, we never can, can we? <laughs> and and I, I feel like there needs to be some accountability uh, about that sort of performance. And I, I think we've seen in the past pro maybe will take it won't happen immediately because the assignments happen uh, a few weeks in advance. They might take a referee off for a week, um, but there's not some sort of clear process for accountability like there is obviously for players and coaches and when a referee is influencing a game like that i don't think it should just be oh well we'll kind of without saying anything take him off for a week and then we right back refereeing like he has been um i i think this is a little bit more serious than that and i think <laughs> from a portland perspective it kind of was a little bit even more frustrating with that lack of accountability that this week, when we saw uh, the referees union that that represents the referees employed by pro putting out a very, um, very strong statement against the NWSL's decision to, uh, to lift Mark Parsons suspension. Obviously that was for conduct um, in their opinion, that was insulting. And it's a little bit of a different um, circumstance, but they're calling out 
a coach and a league um, for their conduct and their actions and their ways of running an appeal process in a very public and um, very strong way uh, with that statement. And at the same time, they're, they're not releasing a statement saying we apologize for the conduct of uh, our referee in that game. I, we apologize that he got multiple calls wrong that could have changed the game. And we don't believe that that was up to the standard. We need our referees and MLS to be, and we're looking into this and we're going to have him uh, not be on our roster for X, Y, and uh, X amount of weeks because of this. Um, those, those are different instances, but if they're going to publicly call out uh, a coach in a league for, for their processes and their actions, I also think there needs to be more accountability when the referees get things wrong. And I think the fact that there's not um, has created part of this. I think people don't think highly of MLS referees. I think having some accountability when, when big mistakes are made would, would help with that. Yeah, and, and it's not just when referees get things wrong because, I mean, you know, it's hard, yeah. A, uh, and, and there are lots of decisions to be made. And, and, and so there is there has to be some room for error, right? Uh, because it, it is a difficult job. But it's when things are egregiously wrong. Uh, like, yes. to, I mean, and, and frankly, this is some, it's something that probably happens, I don't know, maybe a handful. And, and I mean, like literally a handful. You can probably count the instances on one hand in an MLS season where you have a game or you have a, a call or, or, or a series of calls that are just so egregious that you're just like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, this, this is over and, and, and beyond the, the, the sort of appropriate margin for error. Uh, and and so yeah, I, I wholly agree with you. And and I see your position as and your your point as being a, a, as though it would be beneficial for referees. I think one of the things that makes people so mad about referees and 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 and, and frustrates people uh, so much uh, about referees is that they 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 see themselves as, as sort of and they present themselves as sort of being above reproach. Uh, that they are sort of that they are sort of the be all end all. They they can't be wrong, uh, and, and that there is no sort of yeah, as you put it, accountability uh, when a referee does something, when a referee uh, makes an, an egregious error uh, that, that 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 fixes it. And so I, I think in having that sort of above reproach attitude uh, uh, in going about uh, or at least appearing to have an above reproach attitude in, in the way they go about sort of their assessment of games uh, and, and the way decisions are made uh, about whether they are going to continue, uh, you know, using that referee in the same status as they were before. I think it makes people less forgiving uh, of their errors. It dehumanizes them in, in many ways. We, we see errors from players. We see errors from coaches all the time. And they don't generate the same vitriol uh, as errors from referees. And I think there are multiple reasons for that, not all of which are, are in referees' control, to be clear. But I think this is one of the reasons why people are so unforgiving. And if they were more transparent and, and if there was more clear accountability, people would be more trusting uh, of professional re referee of, I mean, <laughs> I was about to say professional referee organizations, but why not just say the professional referee organization uh, and, and, and would and would be more comforted that there are in fact controls to, to improve the quality of the refereeing, not only in MLS, but also in every league that, that pro serves, including USL, including NWSL. Timbers at Minnesota United, that's Saturday at 7.30, uh, the non-Timber storyline to watch in this one is whether Darwin Quintero will make his debut for Minnesota. It sounds like all of his papers have come through. He is eligible. He's ready to play. He's more or less fit because he, he was playing with Club America before uh, he came to Minnesota a, a few weeks ago. 
Uh, so, so it's probably not a matter of him needing a lot of time to get ready to go. But the question is whether he will be ready to play this weekend in Portland. I think the the answer is probably yes in some in in some capacity, but it, but I think it's more of a toss up as to whether that will be in a starting capacity. The other question from the Timbers, I think that that is uh, that is sort of floating out there, is home approach versus away approach. How do you think it's going to be different, Jamie Goldberg? What do you think is going to be different that we're going to see in the team this upcoming week than we have in the previous five? Yeah, I just think there will be a little bit of a more of an attack-minded approach at home, and I think we—I don't think we'll see kind of the three defensive midfielder approach that we saw in Dallas and Chicago. I think we will probably for sure. I mean, I guess we'll see, but I think we'll likely see a four-three-three. I think we're likely to see, in terms of a lineup, a similar lineup to what the Timbers rolled out in Orlando. Um, but but I, I think given that Savarasi has spoken uh, about wanting to be a high press and want to be a tack oriented team, I, I think if he's going to do that home, when you have home field advantage, it is the time to try to do something like that. Absolutely. And you look at the matchup against a, a Minnesota United team that hasn't been scoring a ton of goals. And you would absolutely think this is a game that the Timbers would want to come out, be pretty aggressive and really try to dominate. Frankly, it would sort of quell a lot of nerves and a lot of building uh, suspense, as we're about to talk about, and an unsettlement in the Rose City if they saw the Timbers come out and dominate a game for 90 minutes and, and sort of put it away. But, I mean, it also just makes sense from a home-away perspective as well. Uh, and on top of that, the best moments they've had on the road have been when they have been aggressive. And so you would think if they're able to do that on the road reasonably well, they'd be able to come home and do it uh, and do it for 90 minutes. Some questions before we get to the thorns uh, from not me, Chris. Given Bill Tuiloma's era, error, not era, the Bill Tuiloma era has been short, two games, uh, but he did commit one error in that era, and that led to Dom Dwyer's goal uh, that ultimately sent the score to 3-2 uh, in Orlando. To be clear, it wasn't entirely his fault. Uh, certain, certainly Laris Mabiala had, had his hand in there. Uh, Jake Gleason didn't exactly cover himself in glory either, but he was probably tertiary in the responsibility. But nonetheless, in light of that error, do you think it's time to bring back Liam Ridgewell or maybe give Julio Cascante a try? Well, uh, to be fair to Tui Loma, it's a three-game era, not a, not a two-game era. He, that's he right, three games. Three that, games. That's right. Yes. <laughs> uh, but... I think that's a little bit unfair given that his overall performance and given that this is a player that you probably want to develop and want to grow with this team and see a lot of upside to. He's going to make a few errors and I think he needs the opportunity to make those errors and continue getting chances in the starting lineup. I, At that same time, I think if Liam Ridgewell is really an important part of this team, I, I do think at some point... Um, and is a leader on the team or is going to be one. I, I do think at some point they need to give him a chance back in the lineup and, and maybe this is a game uh, to do it. Uh, but I don't think Tui Loma has done enough to work his way out of the lineup um, because he's still a young player and given what he's been able to do so far, I think he's a player that maybe if he makes a, a mistake like he did on that dryer goal, you still need to give him more opportunities to build off that, learn from that, and continue to improve in game minutes. Definitely. And even notwithstanding that moment, I, I think his three game, the three game Bill Tuiloma era, has been more positive than it has negative. And, and you're going to have moments like that. Uh, it's just going to happen not only with young players, but also experienced players. Uh, they're going to be, you know, some isolated moments where they're not covering themselves in glory. I think that's the second time I've used that phrase in the last couple of minutes. Like I said, C plus, B minus. 
but nonetheless, I, I mean, you know, I, I mean, when, when you've got to sort of assess him as a whole, uh, and I think the whole has been has been pretty solid. I, I'm Team Bill, uh, actually, leading into this the, this game. Unless Liam has been absolutely lighting it up, or Cascante has been lighting it up in uh, in training, I'm definitely still Team Bill and uh, a proponent of giving him even more of a run out. Yanks in Portland want to know what are the realistic expectations now for the season after this slow start. Is it still reasonable to to expect the Timbers to make the playoffs? I think it would still be a major disappointment if they don't make the playoffs. I, I think given the talent they have on this team, given the amount of players that returned from last season, I, I think that would be, it would be looked on as a very disappointing season. If they weren't competing for a playoff spot, if they weren't able to potentially get that playoff spot um, at the end of the year, I don't think given they have had a slow start so far, but I do not think, that slow start, given that it was on the road, necessarily means that they're out of playoff contention at this point. I, I Mike Donovan helped me um, figure out how to look up, up some of these things, get, getting me some information. Um, Good old stat man. So credit to him um, for basically doing all the stat work for me. Um, but he he was talk. I was talking to him about uh, teams that have previously had long stretches on the road of at least five games to open seasons. Uh, and six teams that have done that in previous seasons, all of them have gone on actually to make the playoffs. So uh, if the Timbers did not, uh, <laughs> they'd unfortunately be putting themselves in the category of being the first that didn't. Um, in, in that case, one, one, one of those teams only won one game out of 10 uh, on the road to open the season. Another team went, oh, uh, didn't win in eight. So it's still possible. Uh, and this team has plenty of time to turn things around We'll have to see if they can do that, but but I still think at this point, if they if they're not contending for playoffs, if they're not if they don't earn a playoff spot, it, this is going to be a disappointing season. It is definitely still possible. It is to me definitely still the expectation, but I think it's going to be tough. Uh, you know, I, I, as you indicated, look, you know, if fifty points is sort of the the cutoff, and that's the arbitrary one that we use, and sometimes it takes less, and sometimes it takes even a good chunk less than fifty to make the playoffs. Other times it takes about fifty uh, to get in. But if fifty points is sort of the if you're here, you're almost definitely in the playoffs line. The Timbers have to average 1.7 points per game from here on out in order to get there. Uh, that's a that's a good chunk of points. And even though the Timbers have 17 of 29 uh, of of their last 29 last 29 games, it's like I don't know 85 percent of the season. Uh, but but of those last 29, a, a good chunker at home. Even that notwithstanding, they're gonna have to play well. They're gonna have to start delivering results. Uh, in order to get there. They've got to be very good in order to make the playoffs, but it is still nonetheless my expectation, and I think uh, anything short of that would be a failure for the team. Michael wants to know, of the 12 goals, the Timbers have conceded eight. Speaking of Statman, uh, another Statman named Michael uh, coming in hot here. This is a good one. Of the 12 goals, the Timbers have conceded eight of them have come in a cluster totaling less than 30 minutes. You've got the two goals that they conceded at LA that came very close together, the three goals in going from 2-0 to 4-0 in New York. Uh, and then, the, of course, the three goals uh, going from 2-0 up to 3-2 down in Orlando. That is a span, if you put that together, of less than 30 minutes. Why do you think the Timbers keep unraveling after conceding a goal, Michael wants to know? And what do you think they need to do to stop that? I mean, this for me comes down more to the focus aspect that I mentioned earlier. I, I think this comes down to them not being able to concede a goal and being able to keep the right mentality uh, not to immediately concede another one. I mean, we saw that, especially in New York, the, the team can just completely gave up 
uh, once they realized the game was out of reach. And in Orlando, they let things unravel very, very quickly uh, once they conceded that first goal. Obviously, as we've talked about, uh, the referee played a role in, in that as well. Um, but I, I think when you look at think goals coming in clusters, I, I think that's when you have to look more at the mentality, look more at the focus, and within that, look more at the leadership on the field um, and, and see, are they getting enough leadership from their veterans uh, what's going on that this team isn't able to maintain the right mentality after conceding a single goal. I agree. Um, Timothy wants to know why are the strikers struggling and what would you recommend to Gio to fix it? I, I think strikers go through spells where they don't score goals. I, I, I think that some was somewhat with the formation there's been giving some more opportunities some more openings to players like Blanco to get goal opportunities than they got previously when they when he was playing more as a winger and wasn't coming in as much centrally um at the same time I think there's been a, it's been difficult maybe for Armenteros or Audi to get in a rhythm when, when they've each been switched in now the starting lineup I, I mean strikers are streaky you kind of get that first goal you kind of get some rep reps and build from there I think they both probably don't know whether they're going to start. They neither one has earned that position. They haven't scored that first goal to kind of think, get things uh, going. So, so I think there's a lot of factors um, that has led to this. But obviously, the Timbers need their strikers to score. I, I mean, this isn't a sustainable approach uh, for the season if, if they don't get their strikers going. Yeah, I think there's a decent part of this that's less about Gio and more just about Adi and Armenteros. Uh, they need to do a better job. And it, it is true that the Timbers sort of uh, around the box execution has been lacking at times uh, and that there have been some moments in, in, in which you would have thought the Timbers would have been able to, to, to find a striker in the box. But realistically, they really haven't presented themselves for that many of those. There have been a handful of them, but not more than that. Uh, and and the, the, the simple fact is strikers need to be being presenting themselves as options much more than Armenteros and Adi have thus far. Uh, I'm not sure there's a, a, a ton that, you know, Geo needs to do uh, from, from a tactical wizard, wizard, wizardry uh, point, point of view in, in order to, to, to get the strikers up and running. I think they just need to start doing it. Uh, and so this is, for me, less of a Geo problem and much more of an Adi and Armenteros problem, an Armadi problem than, than, than Geo. <laughs> Craig wants to know, rate Jake Gleason's performance so far this year. I, I think he's... Uh done pretty well overall. I, I think you look at, I believe it was this last week in the save in Orlando in the first half. Uh, that was tremendous. Um, and he's had a few tremendous saves. He hasn't been perfect, um, but I think he's done enough to keep that spot. And I, I think it makes sense that Adonella hasn't suddenly stepped back in. I, I think Jake, uh, he, he's gotten a little bit more flack than, than I kind of feel like he deserves so far. I, I think overall he's been pretty pretty good and not the best goalkeeper in MLS, but, but I think he's done enough to keep that spot. C plus B minus for the reasons you stated, uh, thorns versus pride. That's Sunday at three o'clock, Jamie Goldberg. Let's run through the injury report. Uh, I think we have three, uh, entries, uh, sort of new entries. I should say, uh, well, not new, but news entries on the injury report. The first is Tobin Heath. What do we know about Tobin? Yeah, I, I think the hope had been that she might be able to be ready for this home opener. I, I feel like this is a pattern from last year that, that fans don't like. Um, but she was in full training. Uh, she is out there. So I, I don't want this to get lumped in with the back injury of last year. She's been out with the team training, has been out there fully. 
I don't think this is something where suddenly we're going to see her on this season ending disabled list or, or something like last year. I, I do think she's close. And what Mark Parsons said is Sunday is going to be probably too soon for her. Um, but they're hoping next Friday at this point that she can play. So getting there, I, I mean, you, you're probably at the point with this foot where it's a, as much a fitness uh, and rust issue a, a, as it is a health issue if she's back in full training. And that does uh, take a week or two before a, a player is going to be ready to play, even uh, minutes off the bench. Uh, Emily Mengus, what do we know? Yeah, Mengus is a little bit behind uh, Tobin, actually. Uh, she has, um, what was it? A, I, I don't want to... Is stress something a right leg stress stress reaction was reaction it? yes yes reaction I wanted to use the right word there and not give her an injury worse than uh, she actually has um but she isn't in training yet she was working with the trainers on the sideline this week when it, it was open training uh, appears to be behind Tobin a bit so there's not a set timeline but definitely out Sunday and based on that it sounds like she'll probably be out for Washington as well any do you expect any changes from in the lineup as a result of Mengus still being out or, or are we rolling with what uh, the Thorns had in Chicago um not because of Mengus get being yeah, out right. uh, but I think what we'll get to later they I do believe might have a new forward in the lineup very yes 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 indeed uh, <laughs> but first we have to talk about Lindsay Horan what is her injury yeah. status she came off in the national team game, Mary Paulson was not excited about that. Uh, and, and the yeah. fact that she was left on the field after she picked up a little bit, a bit of a knock in the friendly. Uh, what do we know about her status going forward? Yeah, it sounds like the Thorns are uh, happy that it wasn't worse. They, it's much better than they initially thought. I guess there was a lot of worry that it was going to be a significant injury. Mark classified it essentially as a calf contusion uh, and, and said she was 50-50 for Sunday. But but. Overall, he was positive because I, I guess they were worried that it could be significantly worse. A contused calf uh, is the diagnosis for Lindsay Horan. Uh, we will see how that goes. But obviously, given uh, the other absences, that is a bit of an issue uh, for the Thorns. Yes. Uh, I'm going to give it a go, Jamie. Here <laughs> I go. I'm like holding on to the desk. Let's see if I can do it. Anna Maria Cernogorsevich. How did I do? I, I can't say for sure. Okay, so but you have no idea. But week. Huh? But next week when I talk to her, I assume it'll be next week. When we, when we finally talk to her, that, I'm going to ask her that question. So we'll have to do a comparison. All right. So I'm, I'll get her pronounced her name. I, I'm going with Serna Gorsevich uh, and saying it fast so you can't, you know, definitively <laughs> you don't have good proof that I didn't get it right. Uh, she's in Portland. She's arrived. She's been training with the team this week. Do you think she plays a part on Sunday? Yes. Uh, Mark said the plan was for her to play. Uh, he expected her to make her debut. I, I don't know if she'll be in the starting lineup. It would be a, quite a quick turnaround. She was not in training uh yesterday so today would have been her first day of training uh, so not a ton of time although the thorns given their absences really do need her uh but we'll see if she actually is in the starting lineup but it does sound like she will be making her debut that would be a tough one to to start and play you know an extended stretch after being with the team only for uh, a matter of a few days so i would think she would be coming off the bench even with uh the needs <laughs> uh nonetheless but you know i mean if haran is out uh, that may sort of lead to a chain reaction where, you know, Parsons' hand is forced. Uh, Jeffrey wants to know, do you have any details on the pregame trophy celebration, when that will be, uh, what that is going to look like? I think the the answer from my end right now is no. The, the Thorns, I think, are planning to release that information probably Friday, I would imagine. But just safe to say that there will be a, 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 a sort of celebration of the championship uh, before the game on, on, on Sunday. Uh, the game is slated for 3 o'clock. My advice to you? 
show up early. Uh, Grab yourself a beverage, maybe some nachos. Uh, I like the masala pop, the popcorn, uh, and, and enjoy the, the, the rainy environment, uh, but also be sure to, to be there to catch the trophy celebration. Uh, the piece of news, we talked a little bit about it earlier uh, in the course of the referee conversation. Let's talk about it directly here. This is a, this is a doozy. Um, <laughs> I don't quite know what to make of this, but Mark Parsons was unsuspended. He, he, was, he served his one-game suspension as a result of the red card. Initially, he was given a two-game suspension essentially an extra game of the Dempsey special, if you will, uh, as a result of whatever it was that occurred uh, with the referees after the North Carolina game. Nonetheless, that latter half of the suspension was was overturned. Uh, The referees union yesterday, though, released another doozy of a statement uh, objecting to the suspension being overturned. And they indicated uh, in that statement that Parsons... After the game, pressed a, a hidden, I think this is the way it was phrased, a hidden clump of dirt and grass uh, into the referee's hand in the course of, you know, the post-game handshakes. What in the world, Jamie Goldberg? Yeah. What I in the either. world are we talking about here? I I don't know. That seems like, I mean, Mark denies it. I, I will say that Mark implied that he denied the allegations against him without having seen the statement when I spoke to him, because I spoke to him early in the day. Uh, so I assume he was talking about the same allegations because he'd probably heard them, but he did not go into detail. Um, I, I also saw an equalizer that they had people that were at the game that felt like that wasn't what happened um, from sources as well. So it's very, it's very unclear if this actually occurred. Um, it's just a weird thing to do. I, I, I yeah, that would be I'll a new say, one. I'll say that's um, a weird thing to do. It would definitely be a new one. Uh, if in fact, Mark Parsons did it, uh, he did apologize for not conducting himself, uh, in the right manners. Clearly something happened. I don't know if it was this, I don't know if it was more simple with shaking hands or throwing grass. I, I really don't know <laughs> what, what occurred. Um, but the hidden club of dirt is a little, maniacal or something a little uh crazy like 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 my thing is how in this in the span of the time between the end of the game and the the post-game handshake which is usually like 30 seconds would somebody come up with oh here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna hide uh, a clump of dirt and grass somewhere i i I still don't understand the mechanics of of where he's hiding because it was a hidden clump of dirt and grass to be specific where he's hiding this clump of dirt and grass how then he transferred the clump of dirt and grass from its hiding spot in his sleeve uh, into his hand for the for the handshake. How that exchange went, I, 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 this, this, I like I this raised more questions for me than 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 it answered. To be perfectly honest, but I mean, look, I'll, I'll be I'll be straight about this. When I saw that that statement, my first thought was, okay, there is more to the story than that. <laughs> that like like that. That just, I mean, it strains credulity to, to, you know, I mean, sort of buy that that is how that played out. Where Mark Parsons, after the game, grabbed a clump of dirt and grass from the field and, and was like, oh, I'm going to show this guy um, and, and gave him a muddy handshake. That That's frankly just hard to believe that that's how that played out. And so when I saw the statement, that didn't ring as particularly credible to me. And it seems to me that there's more to the story. That's not to say that Parsons' conduct w- was appropriate. He clearly... Uh, has acknowledged that 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 he did not handle that correctly, um, but if it didn't handle that correctly in in that way, I, I'm I color me skeptical. 
Okay, predictions and then we're out of here. Uh, Timbers versus Minnesota United. Jamie Goldberg, kick us off. Well, I'm going to be optimistic uh, and we'll see where that takes me. But I'm going to say the Timbers come home and they finally get this win. And they're going to beat Minnesota, a beatable team, uh, two to one. And because Tulio got a goal, let's uh, let's give the other setter back a goal. I'm going to predict Mabial is going to get mm, a goal. That's a nice one. That would be another pretty high degree of difficulty side bet if you were to nail that one. I'm going to go. It's going to be a little bit more convincing for the Timbers. I think they are going to be able to dominate this one pretty well. I'm uh, not convinced this team is ready to, to shut out anybody, uh, but I think they will win it three to one. And I think Fernando Adi, uh, I'm, this is this is my like new Darlington Nagby is going to score a goal uh, prediction. I'm going to say Fernando Adi is going to get one of his braces. Thorns versus Pride. Jamie? Um, I'm going to go with uh, the the. I, I shouldn't jinx them, but the Thorns have done very well in, in their home openers in the past, particularly against the Pride in, in recent years. Uh, I, the Pride will also, um, I believe, be without Marta because of the Copa America. So I am going to predict a 3-1 Thorns win. And I am going to predict that the person's name, who I am going to learn the pronunciation of before I uh, butcher it. Anna Maria um, Cernogorsevich. Yes, it is going to score. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a lower scoring game uh, than that, just because I'm not super confident in, in what the Thorns have ready to go in the attack. But nonetheless, I think the Thorns are going to come away with the victory. I think it's going to be 1-0. I think Christine Sinclair is going to add to her legend uh, by scoring a late winner and, and delivering the win for the Thorns in their home opener. Uh, Soccer Made in Portland Fantasy League update. Uh, third place, that is random team from... Somewhere that starts with S, uh, Hugh, uh, it's cut off in, uh, in you know, my, my mobile version here. Hugh, nonetheless, he is in third place with 548 points. Beer City FC in second with 568. And then FC Piedlorn, uh, that is Kaplan, up top once again with 577. I'm in 23rd place uh, with 442 points. Jamie Goldberg, however, as always, remains in dead last because she doesn't play. Uh, I want to point out that I have, I, I have put in my C plus B minus performance periodically with the puppy chewing on my foot. So I think that that, that raises, uh, raises the degree of difficulty just a little bit. Uh, but we're done. Uh, that on the other side of the internet, she is Jamie Goldberg. I am Chris Reifer. Uh, she writes for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, me for Stumptown Footy. You can find us every week on the aforementioned OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. Uh, you can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you all so much for the questions. Enjoy the week of like actual soccer at home in Portland. Uh, finally, uh, in, in 2018, uh, and we will be back here again next week to talk about all of that and more. Until then, as always, take care.